You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast with your hosts Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze various cutting-edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains, DLTs, and cryptocurrencies. In today's episode, we'll be talking about a topic that continues to become more and more prominent in the blockchain space as the industry moves closer to mass adoption. And that is the topic of blockchain interoperability. Blockchain interoperability in its simplest sense can be defined as the ability to transfer data and value from one blockchain to another in a seamless manner. As of recording this episode, if you look at the market cap of cryptocurrencies, there's roughly about $1.5 to $2 trillion worth of value that is spread apart over various blockchain networks. As we head towards a future where multiple decentralized applications will be built on several different blockchains, it becomes imperative that these applications are able to communicate with each other seamlessly. So today, we'll take a look at what is blockchain interoperability, how it can be achieved, and we'll also take a look at one of the more prominent projects in the space, that is Polkadot. So with that, Nikhil, uh, let's start off with why interoperability. From the top view, we know that without interoperability of blockchains, you would have data existing in silos. You would not have functionalities of one platform available for users of another platform. But uh, to start off, could you paint a more real-world picture of the decentralized ecosystem and the challenges that it faces with lack of interoperability? Sure. Uh, In fact, uh, we don't have to look very far for examples because... Uh, the last big, you know, step change like this happened only a few decades back with the advent of the internet, right? And uh, if you look at it, in the beginning when computers were being networked, there were multiple protocols. There was a lot of corporate companies basically pushing their core protocol versus other protocols. And uh, you gradually also had, you know, the growth of corporate uh, networks, right? And uh, for a brief while, they they used to be very heterogeneous networks. Some of them, uh, a lot of them dependent on the type of vendor that they bought into. And uh, very quickly, when the internet uh, and the WHTP protocol came out and the World Wide Web became a reality, uh, people realized that, okay, there is this larger world out there and uh, it is important for them to kind of participate in it and uh, that's basically when they started interoperating right so each of these vendors uh, or these different siloed systems did not give up their core protocol suddenly right they they basically started incorporating parts of the tcp stack and the uh, the http protocol they started supporting it and uh, building bridges and that's how they kind of finally were able to talk to each other through this internet and, and and so on and so forth. And it's kind of a similar situation here, right? Now you have uh, the big gorillas like Bitcoin and Ethereum, and then you have new chains coming up like Solana and EOS and uh, what have you. And uh, as a developer, when you come into it, obviously there is the 800-pound gorilla over there, which is Ethereum uh, where with a large market cap. But there's also a lot of problems, right? There's uh, gas fees to be considered. It's expensive. It's slow. 
and uh, there are these other players that are coming and saying promising much better performance who have been built uh, after ethereum and learned a few learned a bit from the mistakes uh, so so there is basically this natural kind of a setup of camps right uh, at first it may seem that okay there's no way for you to kind of figure out an optimal solution but if you have interoperability and interoperability becomes kind of part of the blockchain ecosystem uh, you certainly don't have to choose a camp right you can basically say okay uh, i will build something that is interoperable and i will be able to take part and take advantage of multiple networks and uh, that's a great way forward so just uh in terms of practical examples uh, in the blockchain space uh you just have to look at ethereum smart contracts right now there are smart contracts uh which basically end up uh, even even the nft craze right so we had the uh, non fungible token uh, had a, a boom recently and uh, a lot of people uh, decided to create nfts and a lot of them realized very quickly that just the act of buying or transacting on ethereum was so costly that often times it was even more costly than the actual value of the nft people <laughs> were selling it for right i mean that that's basically a classic example of you know a very compelling space where there's a lot of network effects and uh, tools and maturity but at the same time there's also scalability issues there's networking speed issues there's latency issues and cost obviously is a, a big concern so in this particular scenario if we could come up with a way to interoperate between ethereum and other chains you could probably take advantage of some of them right in fact if you look at closely at how ethereum is evolving ethereum itself is starting to recognize and it's got this concept of shards uh where it's basically saying okay uh, the next version of ethereum we will have multiple shards and each of these shards basically is essentially uh being going to be separate somehow and then they're going to kind of uh work together it's almost like you're creating a set of different blockchains and not only that uh there's also now the concept of layer 2 side chains which are essentially completely different blockchains that are running but basically leverage uh the ethereum main chain to kind of store their state and leverage the security and stuff like that so these are all different approaches obviously ethereum and the side chains around ethereum are kind of hampered by the legacy of ethereum but if we can figure out an interoperability or an interoperable uh story between ethereum and other chains like polkadot or cosmos and all of these other chains then uh, obviously there's a lot more competition developers have more choice and you can actually figure out what really suits your need great i th- think that's a really good explanation and i'm i'm glad you mentioned about uh, the nfts and you know even if you look back at uh, the whole crypto kitty craze you know back then you know exactly. when the yeah. game was launched if you look back at uh, recent history everything seems really promising and great and you know there's all this developer activity on ethereum network but suddenly one thing picks up and then all of a sudden you have a very choked network and you know that is when you realize that okay if you had these other blockchains uh, that you can develop on and you know take some some of the load off of ethereum and have them communicate with each other seamlessly right it would be a very very big uh, value add 
So going into uh, the kind of interoperability solutions that uh, are currently being tried out, you know, with different approaches, you can broadly classify them into solutions that connect public blockchains. These uh, solutions are called public connectors. And then you have also solutions that connect public and private blockchains, and these are called hybrid connectors. So uh, among the solutions that act as public connectors, you have solutions that, as you just mentioned, you know, that utilize side chains with relays. Uh, you have blockchain agnostic protocols that simply provide an abstraction layer uh, below which they connect to multiple different blockchains. But the one solution that is probably the most popular right now and uh, which we have decided to focus on uh, in this episode is the blockchain of blockchain solution. Both Polkadot and Cosmos, uh, which are probably the most prominent projects in the interoperability space, utilize this blockchain of blockchains model. So for the purpose of this episode, we'll focus only on Polkadot and uh, look deeper into how it works. So to start off with a quick overview of the Polkadot ecosystem, Polkadot is a layer one interoperability solution. That means uh, it has its own blockchain. Uh, it has a common set of validators that secure multiple blockchains at the same time. And uh, they use what is called the substrate framework uh, that allows developers to build their own custom blockchains and uh, also for other blockchains to connect to the Polkadot ecosystem. The uh, ecosystem has its own coin, which is known as uh, the DOT token, DOT. Uh, which is used for staking and, of course, uh, governance on the network. If you go deeper, you know, there's a lot of new terminology in the Polkadot ecosystem. Uh, there's something called uh, the relay chain, there's parachains, there are parathreads. So uh, relay chain, you can think of it as the main chain that is responsible for the network's shared security and uh, consensus of all the chains that are joined to it. Parachains, uh, these are the independent blockchains that can have their own tokens and uh, they can be made for their own specific use cases. So let's say if you wanted to launch your own token on Polkadot, like you create a ERC20 token on Ethereum, uh, a parachain is what you would be looking to create. Then you have parathreads. Uh, these are very similar to parachains. The main difference being that they don't need to be connected to the main relay chain all the time. So uh, these would basically follow a pay-as-you-go model where they plug into the main relay chain only when required. And then you have bridges. Bridges are basically the entities that allow parachains and parathreads to communicate with external networks like Ethereum, Bitcoin, or any others that Nikhil just mentioned. So these are some of the most basic terms in the Polkadot ecosystem. Nikhil, uh, can you go a little deeper into how uh, all of this works? Sure. So uh, you characterized the whole thing uh, quite well. As you said, the relay chain is the kind of like the base blockchain where most of the, you know, validators are going to be submitting their validation proofs. And uh, that's the uh, base chain where the security is going to be uh, concentrated. So the co uh, focus of the relay chain is to make sure that, uh, you know, things are secure and then the blocks are getting added and the validators are doing their job. And uh, obviously, uh, we have what is known as a uh, proof of stake uh, consensus mechanism for this. In fact, there is a, uh, a nominative uh, proof of stake, which is a slight variation on the proof of stake, where people basically get uh, nominate validators. Uh, so there are there's a pool of nominators who basically uh, nominate the validators who are going to sign the transactions. And uh, each so of these would this be uh, yeah. would this be the same as delegated proof of stake? As we have seen, no. in some of the so other it is different from delegated proof of stake in the sense that in nominated proof of stake, you kind of vote or nominate your validator, but you're not giving him your dot. So it's not like 
the topmost validators basically have to win. Uh, it's essentially uh, a slightly different system. So basically, the idea essentially of a nominator is they will stake their dots on uh, trustworthy validators and they will basically be participating, right? So in a delegated proof of stake, you're delegating your vote, right? But in a nominator proof of stake, basically what you're saying is that we are going to stake our dots on this particular validator and uh, you basically participate in the rewards. So the, if the validators basically get uh, the fees and the, the mining uh, rewards, you get part of that. But you also participate in the downside. So if your validator gets slashed, a percentage of your staking amount would also get slashed. So you both win and lose money, right? I mean, you, you basically say, I delegate my dots to another person and whatever that person says, uh, I'm okay with. Here, basically, you're kind of saying, I'm staking my dots on this person's reputation and and then basically there is consequences for me. Right. I mean, the, the, the main reason for me to just compare this with delegated proof of stake is that one of the key challenges with delegated proof of stake, as we've seen in some of the other blockchains, is that of cartelization, right? So would that be a common concern? Uh, I'm not really sure because uh, this is again something that's uh, come up with Polkadot and it's quite early in the life cycle of Polkadot. So they launched their relay chain early in, in June last year. And uh, to be honest, I'm not sure exactly how many people got slashed and you know what is the state of that. But... Uh, idea essentially is that so it's a proportional kind of a staking mechanism and uh, as long as a nominator is diligent in her choice there is low risk right and you have a continuous source of revenue if you choose a validator that is new or who has got a bad reputation the chances of you losing your stake is high the way it works essentially is that any dot holder can participate as a nominator. And the way you do it is that you publish your list of validator candidates. So you're not voting on one validator. You can put a list of them and you can put down the amount of dots that you put at stake to support each of them, right? And if the, some of these candidates are elected, so that's a separate election, then you basically participate in the payments or the upside or the sanctions, the downside, right? And uh, essentially, it's kind of like, you know, you're funding the validator for his the role. To move on, uh, so this is one of the challenges of the Polkadot blockchain is that it's kind of mul multiple layers, right? So we've so far only talked about the <laughs> the, uh, the relay chain and how it is uh, secured. Uh, but uh, the next thing, obviously, is the parachain, right? So the parachain essentially is a chain that utilizes the relay chain as uh, the source of truth. So, so it's basically submitting its transactions and submitting its uh, data so that, you know, the that's basically the base from which the parachain is built. Uh, but the parachain itself can have its own consensus protocol uh, to decide which transactions can get on the relay chain, right? Which is the, and, and it can have a separate schema of its own for whatever uh, function it needs to perform. Uh, unlike other blockchains, though, Polkadot is a little restrictive at this point in the sense that uh, it has its own framework called Substrate. Uh, it's uh, mostly using uh, what is known as a WebAssembly 
model so you can write your code uh, in go or rust or most of the tools are built using uh, rust it has this concept substrate has this concept of what it called palettes right and palettes essentially are predefined pieces of functionality that you can then uh, group together and kind of build your contract out of it kind of like uh, building blocks uh, there is a palette for uh, building bridges between uh, ethereum uh, and and polkadot there are palettes for peer to peer communication there are palettes for the on chain governance piece for example smart contracts and smart contract development is ex- is essentially a palette so if you want to enable smart contracts on your blockchain you can use this uh, palette uh, that is available on substrate framework and then kind of that kind of enables the uh, model so it's kind of like a plug in mechanism that uh, you just plug in various pieces of functionality and build your parachain the way you want and so the next thing obviously is the parathreads so just a quick question on that it looks like polkadot ecosystem it has an elaborate set of tools and uh, different utilities available for developers to build on but let's just say if you if you looked at two options in front of you you know as a developer if you have an option to uh, create your own ERC20 token on ethereum and wait for you know some of these interoperability solutions to go live uh, and and become more mainstream versus the option to actually build on another ecosystem like polkadot uh, how do you weigh the the pros and cons of that like uh, if if you're a developer what is the plus and what is the minus of course like like you mentioned the 800 pound gorilla ethereum right <laughs> the right. network effect so so what so, is the trade off no in addition to that uh, ethereum obviously also has the fact that it has been around for a while so it's got documentation it has got tutorials uh it's got a developer community so you can ask questions and things like that now i'm not saying that polkadot doesn't it just doesn't have that many resources the downside or rather the the thing where polkadot is trying to kind of strike back is the fact that you have this concept of a web assembly of wasm that allows you to kind of write it in languages that developers may be familiar with right wasm basically supports rust and you can rep- uh, support go and it supports java and c++ uh, so you can actually write your code to target that particular uh, web assembly module uh, in any language so there's obviously that as well so on the other side now from the perspective of ethereum you have a lot of pre configured uh, smart contracts you can build on and you have audit mechanisms and stuff like that but on the uh, polkadot side that's how they came up with the idea of the pallet right is there you can have an evm pallet uh, an ethereum virtual machine pallet or a ink contract pallet ink is one of the popular development tools that uh, substrate has so uh, the way uh, you basically work is that you have substrate uh, the latest version of substrate you have rust you can have ink and then you have the wasm interpreter and compiler and then you write your code right in terms of uh, pallet contracts and then just uh, have the wasm interpret it and it can work converts it into uh, a substrate based uh, uh, it, it, it you can you can basically deploy it into your uh, parachain one interesting thing and this I'll, I'll i'll talk about it a little bit in uh, in terms of when we talk about ecosystem uh, and that is basically the fact that uh, these parachains itself 
there are parachains being built that are kind of focused on particular developer problems. So there's a parachain, for example, called Moonbeam uh, that is touting itself as a bridge between Ethereum and Polkadot. And it has actually implemented a Ethereum virtual machine as part of its code. So this means that you can take any Solidity contract that is already in Ethereum, right? And with little modification, just run it on this on this Moonbeam uh, parachain and it will run because it's using the same virtual machine. So the Solidity code will run the same way. There are different approaches to doing this. On the whole, I think uh, at least on the surface, it seems pretty approachable to do. Uh, build stuff on uh, on Polkadot, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it depends on how far down or how far up you want to uh, work, right? You can actually work. You can build your own parachain, or you can build a DApp on an existing parachain, or you can use your uh, Ethereum contract and you uh, deploy it on Moonbeam or uh, a similar parachain and work with that. Makes sense. So the the next part was about the para threads, right? And they, yeah, they are very yeah. similar to parachains. So uh, the main difference, like you pointed out, is the fact that para threads are uh, pay as you not not exactly pay as you go. It's it's kind of not synchronous. So the relay chain basically has a limited number of slots. Okay, so it can support a limited number of parachains. Currently, basically, they're saying it will support up to a hundred, uh, but that's not a very clear figure. But the point being, it is limited. That means, essentially, parachain projects need to kind of find slots for themselves on the relay chain in order for them to function, right? And this is where basically you have a auction. So there is an auction where people basically, the owners of the parachain or the people behind that particular parachain have to basically bond uh, dots, Right, so they have a dot token as a bonding where they will basically auction these dots and say, Okay, I'm going to lock up or bond this dot for a particular period of time. Now, parachains uh, basically the slots are available in six month intervals for up to two years. You can auction on up to two years worth of time on the main relay chain, and uh, at the end of that, obviously, you auction again and uh, bond uh, some more. If for whatever reason you want to get out or your project is not uh, working, you can just uh, pull out your dots that you have bonded and uh, your parachain will be kicked out and there'll be another auction. Now, obviously, uh, this is fine for the startups and the people who have invested. But if Polkadot blows up and there's a, you know, a dot becomes quite uh, valuable, then obviously, uh, your ordinary startup or your start uh, the new guys basically they may not have a slot available right and uh, for that basically for that reason they they've come up with this concept of para threads which is essentially they will have a couple of slots reserved where people can periodically connect to the relay chain and use the relay chain and then disconnect and then connect again so this basically does not work for all scenarios so places where you want to have continuous security or if you're having uh, projects that need uh, that have a lot of transactions that are happening at a continuous basis it may not work but if you have got a project where you've built it in such a way that it uh, does not need to be all the time 
uh, on the net, on the relay chain, then and you're comfortable with it being a little bit of out of sync with the relay chain and uh, possibly the risks associated to that, then you can uh, write a parathread and use that. And the parathread basically is charged only for the duration or the time it's on the relay chain and then you can just take it out again. One quick thing I just wanted to touch upon is the idea or the concept of slashing and fishermen, right? So uh, Polkadot, uh, like I mentioned earlier, has this uh, consensus mechanism just based on nominator proof of stake. Uh, but uh, the way chains are built or blocks are finalized is uh, a little different. So it has, uh, it's what's known as a split-based confirmation where you have a finality gadget and you have what's known as a probability-based uh, finality. So a block is basically added, but it doesn't mean that it is finalized. Uh, it is basically your probability of finalization goes up as as and more as as more and more blocks get added ahead of you but uh, it's still possible for chains to get created but there is a, a finality widget that is used periodically that goes and uh, looks at the blocks basically uh, fig and figures out the uh, number of the number of uh, signatures that that block has connected and how number of validators that have approved the block and then basically finalizes the block based once it falls above a particular threshold right so this kind of helps kind of go get around the fact that okay all validators may not immediately sign the whole block right every immediately so you might have some validator signing some validators might have signed other blocks and kind of like there is this small folks happening and then basically gets finalized now the validators themselves there needs to be a way to keep them uh, keep them honest and that's where the fishermen come right so the fishermen are continuously monitoring the chain and there's an incentive for them to do this if they actually can prove that uh, a validator signed a block that was malicious or the validator signed a block that did not succeed to get on the chain uh, successfully get on the chain, they can slash. So a fisherman can basically pull up the block and uh, submit it for uh, review. And if the review basically falls and the block is not validated by the base level of validators, then uh, the validators that propose that block basically have a portion of their uh, dots taken away from them and redistributed between the fisherman. And then there's a percentage that goes to the uh, Polkadot.chain itself as well. And uh, if everything goes well and the validator basically goes, uh, is passes through, basically every successful block validation gets a, uh, a fee uh, and uh, that fee is basically distributed uh, between the validator and the nominators of the validator. So yeah, so that just kind of to round out that consensus play. Uh, a little complicated, I know. But uh, it's something that, yeah, it's, it's new terminology, and you know, it's it's uh, it's still uh, early days. So early uh, days, yeah. It's it's uh, to be honest, uh, relay chain has gone has been public for I think about uh, since around the middle of last year it went public. I think that was when it was went went public. So so far, I haven't uh, heard of many blow ups. So so far, so good. But then on the other hand, it's still only less than a year old, right? So let's see. So. To just touch on the governance aspect a little bit, uh, Polkadot system says that 
they have a forkless structure. There would not be a need to hard fork. Uh, rather, you know, there's a governance mechanism to implement changes uh, without a fork. Could you touch on that a little bit? So the uh, idea essentially is that every dot owner, right, uh, has a stake, right? So they are individual stake owners where they can actually, if they so choose, uh, look at and veto proposal, right? So individual stakeholders are able to propose a change to the protocol, right? Uh, vote on existing proposals and they can also elect council members. And council members are basically uh, something like if you are a Polkadot uh, holder and you do not want to participate, but at the same time you want to be a good citizen, you can elect a council member who represents you. So who are these councils, right? So the council members basically uh, are members elected to represent these passive stakeholders. And they have two roles. One is to propose referendums or proposals. And the other one is to veto dangerous or malicious referendums. And it is not necessary that uh, they have to be technically excellent or anything. They just need to be able to vote on it uh, and or veto. And uh, I think there it's, uh, I want to say it is 13 uh, 11 or 13 uh, council members and uh, separately there is a technical committee and these basically are composed of teams that are actively building on Polkadot and they can basically help the council members by recommending, right, uh, proposing emergency referenda and fast-tracking uh, voting and the implementation. So the technical committee is basically uh, a more informal, it's not formally voted, but it is basically com- composed of the people who are actively building on uh, on Polkadot, but they can basically help the council members figure out uh, what needs to be immediately voted on, what needs to be vetoed, and uh, they can pro- perform an advisory role. Right. So uh, here's another top-level question. So uh, it's great that, you know, that there are many interoperability solutions like uh, Polkadot and Cosmos, which are in the works. But once layer two solutions kick in on platforms like Ethereum, uh, do you see there's still a strong need uh, for such an ecosystem going forward? That's a good question. Uh, I would basically say yes, mainly because you'd still need to make that jump, right? So assume that, okay, fine, you have layer two solutions on Ethereum, you have layer two solutions on Bitcoin. So far, whatever layer two solutions that I have seen are basically still tied to the main Bitcoin layer one. And the layer one improvement or the proposals or the version two or whatever you want to call it for Ethereum is still kind of limited. It's basically 64 shards and what have you, right? Uh, there's, There's a limited scalability that they are kind of targeting for ethereum 2 now yeah that does that mean that okay there will be an ethereum 3 that somehow does it better maybe yeah but uh, the point essentially is that whatever ecosystem is being built at the end of the day it kind of stays isolated and polkadot proposes basically a way for that particular ecosystem to also participate in its network. Now, right now, admittedly, it's a small network. It's more of a vampire attack rather than its own. But uh, if you want to be optimistic about it, if they actually uh, grow their network by having the 
advantage of this bridge, they can basically make it easier for people to come over. And then, uh, you know, if they have done their job well and uh, the proof of nominated proof of stake works out to be more powerful than Ethereum's proof of stake, then, yeah, you know, people have the option of voting with their feet, right? So you're no longer kind of going into the space being tied to Ethereum. Great. So, I mean, it looks like there's, there's a lot uh, going on in the space and there's definitely a lot of scope going forward for uh, you know various use cases to be implemented in different ways, either directly on the existing chains or newer chains and then, you know, have them interoperate with each other. Uh, Nikhil, so before we wrap up, uh, do you have any final thoughts on you know the path forward for interoperability and the ecosystem in general? Sure. Uh, just to quickly touch on, uh, just and, and basically as I was thinking about your previous question, this occurred to me. Uh, it's not that Polkadot does not have its own players and that it only depends on Ethereum, right? Polkadot basically already has some candidates and there's a lot of activity happening there. There's a parachain called Kusama where they do the test and research. It's equivalent to your Ethereum testnet. They have uh, uh, decentralized uh, DeFi-focused parachains like Akala and Centrifuge, which uh, look at stable coins and uh, derivatives and NFTs. Um, They've also got, like I had mentioned before, I think briefly, there's a parachain called Moonbeam that is looking to be a bridge with Ethereum. But there's also another parachain called Edgeware, which is a substrate-based chain. And uh, that is basically just focused to, uh, focusing on governance uh, models, right? So it's not like the Polkadot ecosystem is not vibrant. Uh, I just wanted to point that out. In terms of the future, as you said, there are actually a couple of uh, dimensions to it. Right. So if you remember what I talked about in the internet, what actually were these silos were on the enterprise side, right? There were companies basically having their own networks. There's already something like that in blockchains and it's called uh, the, it's the difference between a private blockchain and a public blockchain where the private blockchain essentially is a ledger and they've just taken the distributed ledger aspect and kind of tried to riff on that. And uh, while the public blockchains have gone down a different direction. Now, whether they will ever meet, maybe, maybe not. I'm a little uh, pessimistic on that front. But the way I see it is the public space itself is kind of growing in such a way as to kind of make it compelling enough for the companies or corporates to participate. They may want their own private blockchains and that's fine. But they may also kind of start building uh, on these public blockchains. And at that point in time, obviously, seeing the fact that you have interoperability and uh, there are these uh, options available uh, makes it a lot more palatable and a lot more approachable, especially for companies that basically do not like to be uh, beholden to a particular vendor or tied to a particular uh, business model, right? So the fact that this sort of interoperability exists is kind of good uh, from that particular perspective. All right, folks, that concludes our podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode on blockchain interoperability with Polkadot. 
You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play and Spotify. And also you can learn more about us on bcdialogues.com. Thanks again for joining. See you next time.